Jesus. Amen. Before you leave, Charles, I thought we should just stand next to each other and show you that uh, we should have exchanged uh, clothing options this morning because we are pretty much identical. Probably, but today is a special day, too, because our fantasy teams play each other today. So although we look like we're unified, no underneath the surface, there's a little animosity going on. A little? <laughs> a little bit? <laughs> well, it's funny. I was going to start off by talking about how it's so great to have just the right people in our life. I was going to include Charles in that, but now I'm not going to. <laughs> and it's not just Charles. It's Charles and Trisha. And it's Trisha who is the general manager of his fantasy football team. So that's why they're good, <laughs> okay? But isn't it, even around this time, you reflect upon what you're thankful for. And I know for me, it's the right people in my life. Uh, it could be for you, a best friend, a neighbor. It could be a spouse, a grandparent, an aunt or uncle, a coworker. But when you reflect on your own life, we realize we're grateful for people because we were made for relationships. And some of those characteristics that fits that right person for you may be something like this. It's that someone who can make you laugh within a few minutes of being with them. It's someone you trust to tell you a hard truth. Someone you don't talk to or see often, but when you do, it feels like old times again. It's someone who has seen you at your best and at your worst, and when they've seen you at their worst, they've stuck around anyways. It's someone who cares about the seemingly small insignificant details of your life. We're grateful for the right person or the right people in our lives because it is a gift. But I have definitely people in my mind that I would include in those right people. They're, they're flawed. They fail me. They turn their backs on me sometimes. They're not there when I need them to. And as good as relationships are, we can be disappointed by them. And so just because they're the right people, that's good, but we need someone who's the right person that even though we may fail them, they won't fail us. And we can count on them even when we don't deserve it. We kicked off a brand new message series last week called Just In Time. Charles kicked it off to show that Jesus came just at the right time, the perfect time, even though it didn't seem like it was the perfect time. Today, we're going to be focusing on the right person, not the people in our lives, but the right person in Jesus who promises never to fail us, who will never turn his back on us, who will never disappoint us, who will always be there when it matters. And so we want to look at Galatians 4, 4 through 7 again, because we're taking some of this language from this passage from Paul. And Paul, he puts it this way, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. Since you are his child, God has made you his heir. So for our time today, I want to focus on that last part of verse 4, 
God sent his son, which is so great because God initiated things with us. He saw where we were at as humans and said, I need to send my son Jesus to this earth. And we see in that that he came to this earth born of a woman, which means he is just like us as well. And so when we look at Jesus, he's the right person because he's fully God and fully human. He's not 50-50 or 99-1. It's 100% and 100%. If you want to get nerdy for a moment, that theological term is the hypostatic union of Jesus, both God and humanity. We see that at its fullest when we celebrate Christmas. Matthew says, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give him birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which is God with us. God with us, fully God, but he is with us because he was born of a virgin and he's also all human. Now at this point, if you're trying to wrap your mind around God being 100% God, or Jesus being 100% God and 100% human, and you can't fit that in your brain, just know you are like everybody else. <laughs> we all wrestle with that because it goes against what we understand, especially when it comes to God. But here's the thing, when you think about God, you want him to be known, just like we see here in Jesus. You want him to be relatable, you want to know you can count on him, you want to know that he's there, but you also need to worship him too. You need a God who's bigger than you, that's more complex than you, that you can't always figure out, because then he is worthy to be worshipped, and then he can be God. And so we see both in Jesus. Fully God, complex, we can't even fathom that, and fully human, someone who is just like us. And both of those things matter. And so as we look at Jesus as the right person, I want to look at with you why the divinity of Jesus matters, and also why the humanity of Jesus matters. So who is Jesus as God? Well, he, Jesus, gives us a clear picture of who God is. The author of Hebrews puts it this way in verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, the first part of that verse. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. If I were to tell you what this verse means in one sentence, it would be this. If you want to know what God looks like and how he acts and who he is, look at Jesus. Jesus is the very representation of God. God, yes, is a spirit, and so it's hard to fathom how can I relate to that. But if you want to relate to God, to know exactly who he is, you don't have to make up something in your imagination. He's right there as Jesus. But what's so hard, at least for me, is that if it's true that if I want to know God, I look at Jesus... The first part of the Bible, known as the Old Testament, that God looks a lot different than the New Testament God. When you look at the Old Testament, it seems like God's really cranky and very angry oftentimes. And you look at Jesus, and he seems like the nice guy, gracious and loving. And so how, if we see Jesus, how is that also a representation of a God who looks a little bit different? in the Old Testament. Let me give you an example. Maybe it will help. I'm not sure, but it's helped me at least. So when I'm here with you on a Sunday morning, 
you get to know me a little bit. Hopefully, over the years that you've gotten to know me or you get to know me, you realize, first and foremost, I really love Jesus. I really love teaching God's word. I hope you get to hear that I'm very flawed, that I love my family, and that you get to know more aspects of my life. Like I'm a big Browns fan, and I wear these socks every Sunday to prove that. But if you were to see me off stage, I should be the same person. And normally I am. But you would see a different side of me based upon the context that I'm in or based upon the people that I'm relating to or based upon the situation that I find myself in. So when I'm off stage, I'm not always going around teaching the Bible. In fact, if you want to see a different side of me, come on Wednesday at 6 o'clock at Perkins High School, you'll see me at the center of a table of five other guys as the president of Perkins School Board. I can't really talk about Jesus there, but you're going to see a different side of me, but it's still the same Eric. If you really want to get to know me off stage and you want to know how I am like, I'm a little bit more serious up here, but it is recorded that I have been caught dancing on every Cleveland sports jumbotron. Literally, that's true. The Browns, the Guardians, and the Cavs, I go and I get on the Jumbotron. I have some tips if you want to know how to do that, by the way. And I've been on there dancing. Some of you are like, really? Yes, it's true. If you got to know me, you would know that if we were hanging out watching a movie, and it doesn't even have to be a chick flick, I cry all the time during movies. My girls and I watched a new movie on Netflix yesterday, and there wasn't really a sad moment, but it was very touching, and I literally was tearing up in this movie. And I hate even admitting this to you publicly because Pastor Charles will take this, and he will make fun of me all of the time. But that is me. There's many facets of me, depending on the context, the situation, who I'm with, that person may look differently, but it's still Eric. The same is true about God in the Bible. There was different things happening in the Old Testament than the New Testament. But the problem is, God gets this bad rap as this angry, grumpy God in the Old Testament. But when you start really reading and understanding what's happening... He is upset because he has shown so much love and pursuit and mercy and grace with his people. And his people continue to turn their backs on him. And so, yes, there is anger there. There is frustration from God there. But there's also so much love there as well. If you go to the New Testament, Jesus wasn't warm and fuzzy. He was very gracious and he welcomed all people, but, but man, that guy got angry too. He flipped tables when people were using the temple as a different way of worshiping God than they should. Jesus went up to the Pharisees and called them whitewashed tombs and said other names to them because they were representing God in a way that was false. Jesus in the New Testament and this God in the Old Testament are the same. So we need to get away from looking at them differently and realizing they're very much the same God. That is who Jesus is. He's a clear picture of the character and the nature of who God is. 
And that's good to know about who he is. But the question now is, why did he come in the first place? Why did we need Jesus to be all God for us? Well, here's what we read. His actions on our behalf, they are sufficient. We read in the other part of Hebrews 1.3. When he cleansed us from sin, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. He says, when he cleansed us, which means the author of Hebrews is saying, you needed this to happen. But why? What does that even mean? Well, sin in the Bible is not about the things that we do. It includes that, but that is secondary to what is going on in our own hearts and in our own lives. In fact, the Greek word for sin in the New Testament is hamartia. And that Greek word means to miss the mark. It's actually an archery term. I am not very good at shooting arrows or guns or anything like that. But this literally meant if you had a target and you wanted to hit the bullseye, you would try your best to obviously shoot at a bullseye. I'm probably messing this up for you who are uh, outdoorsmen. You're like, you have no idea what you're talking about. You are right. I do not. <laughs> All I know is it's very good to hit the bullseye, and that's exactly what we're supposed to do. <laughs> that's the best shot. And in our lives, we are supposed to do that with God too. When it comes to our content of our hearts, the direction of our hearts, we should hit that bullseye with how we love him and how we love other people and that we would live selflessly. But we don't do that. Some of us are like me. If I were to shoot an arrow, it would go way up there, not even close to the target. Some of us are way off. <laughs> Others of us are a little bit closer to that bullseye, but none of us have ever really hit it. And that's why Jesus had to come. Because all of us have sinned. In the Old Testament, the way that they would try to cover sin was with an animal sacrifice. It was the blood of these animals that covered them and covered their sin. It was a symbol of this forgiveness that God wanted to give them. But the problem is they had to do that over and over and over again. It didn't stick to the bullseye, so to speak. And that's why the author of Hebrews says, For it is not possible for the blood of bulls or goats to take away sin. This is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. In other words, even though these animal sacrifices may hit the bullseye for a little while, it always would fall out and never stuck. And when Jesus came as God in humanity, he fired one at the bullseye, and it's stuck, and it sticks now. That he doesn't just cover our sin, he cleanses us from sin. He forgives us of what we have done and will do for eternity. And that's why the divinity of God matters in Jesus. When you see Jesus, you see the face of God, the characteristics that make him who he is. And he came to cleanse us, to hit the bullseye for us because we could never do that in ourselves. He's fully God. But we also need him to be fully human with so many reasons for that. Here's why. The humanity of Jesus matters because 
should say he, he experienced life as we do. The thing about Jesus is he didn't come and live in some bubble or live away from everybody so he wasn't contaminated by people because we're all really messy. Jesus jumped right into the mess and lived exactly the way you and I lived. I love what Luke says after he talks about the Christmas story a little bit later in Luke 2. It says that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. It says that he grew, not just physically, obviously born as a baby and grew to be an adult, but just like we are as kids, we think we know it all, we don't, and we have to grow in wisdom, grow in understanding. That's what Jesus did. Jesus had relationship with his family. He had friends. He had the relationship, of course, with the Father, but with other people he did and spoke and lived just like we do now. And what I love about that is not only does he do those things, but he also has to walk this life with God, taking those next steps just like you and I are doing today. Because he is fully human and went through everything that we went through as well. I love what Chad Bird says. This is a great article that actually Sonia introduced to our staff. It's so good, talking about Jesus. And it says, it's one thing for God to be with us as God, but it's on a whole different level for God to be with us as a fellow human being who spent 40 weeks in utero or learned how to crawl then walk and then suffered through puberty and eventually faced the firing squad of Roman crucifiers. We have that God. In the end, it looked a little different than you and I hopefully have to go through. But all the way up, from birth all the way through, he was human. He lived very similar to us. And because he was human, there are certain things about Jesus that we can relate to. For instance, he faced temptation just like us. I love this passage in Mark. It says, The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals, and the angels took care of him. This would have been very challenging for Jesus. But even more so, before this situation happens, Jesus was baptized. He ends up becoming that symbol for us to do exactly what he does. And as he's being baptized, he's coming out of the water. We hear the Father's voice declaring, Jesus, you are my son with whom I'm well pleased. This is before Jesus ever did any ministry. This is before Jesus really became the Jesus we know now. He did nothing, and he didn't need to be because he was his son's son. He was his father's son, I should say. His father's son. And because of that, just like when we give birth to our child, they don't do anything but cry, eat, and poop, but we love it anyways. Because it's our child. And that's the declaration that God gave Jesus. You are mine. And then the spirit of God says, all right, now you are to be tempted for 40 days. Talk about going from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. For 40 days, the enemy had, its, had his heyday with Jesus, tempting him with so many different things that you and I are tempted with on a daily basis. But Jesus never cracks. And you may say, no, he... He didn't crack. Of course, he's God. Yes, he is 100% God, but he's also 100% human. And the reason he doesn't crack when it comes to humanity, he's not borrowing from his godlike 
image to help him here. No, no, no. He said every time he was tempted, he looked at the enemy in the eyes and said, well, the word of God says. The word of God says. The word of God says. Every time he was tempted to do something he shouldn't, he went back to the dependency on God and his word to get him through it. And that's what got him through it. So he's just like you and I. He's tempted with all the things that you and I are tempted with, but he stays firm because he knew what his source had to be in order to get through temptation. You and I, we are tempted all day, every day. From the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed, we are inundated by this world and by the enemy to crack and to cave when it comes to our relationship with God. But 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this. He will never give you more than you can bear. Oftentimes we hear that verse and we think of circumstances in life. Jesus won't give me more than we can handle. Well, that's a lie. I've gone through so many situations in my life. It is more than I can handle. And if I believed that verse to be true, I would have walked away from God 20 years ago. Because I've gone through things that I can't ever do on my own, and so have you. But that verse has nothing to do with suffering or hardships. In fact, Jesus was the one that says, you are going to suffer. And when you have more than you can bear, bring it to me and I will bear it with you. So this has nothing to do with circumstances or suffering. What it does have to do with is temptation. He says, look, there's going to be temptation in your life, but I'll never allow you to go through more than you can handle, meaning if you cave, don't blame me. And then he says this, God is faithful, which means God shows up right when we need him. He's always there. We can reach to him. And Paul goes on to say, he is so faithful for us that he will provide a way out. Every time you're in a situation and you're looking around and you're not sure how to get out, keep looking because there is a back door somewhere. And that back door is the word of God says. Whatever lie you believe or whatever thing that you're about to do because you think you need to do that or you want to do that, but you know it's going to ruin your life, you can go, the word of God says this to be true. And you can overcome that temptation just like Jesus does. He gets it. He knows what you're going through. He faced it just like we did, and yet he got out of it too. And then, why does it matter? His, he can identify with us. He gets what you're going through. More than temptation, literally the stuff that you face, the things that you've gone through. You can't say God doesn't understand because he understands literally just exactly what you're going through. I love what Hebrews says about our high priest, Jesus. He understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do and did not sin. Yes, the temptation, he never caved. But when it comes to the things of life, Jesus went through the same weaknesses you go through. One of the hardest things that you and I will ever have to face is when we lose somebody. Whether it's a friend, parent, child, it's horrible. You go to the scriptures. Jesus lost his very close friend Lazarus. And what does it say? He wept. One of the most profound verses in all of scripture because he cried at the loss of his friend. You and I cry at the loss of our loved one or our friend. He gets it. He doesn't just say, suck it up, it's going to be fine. He literally weeps with us. 
Have you been betrayed by somebody that you trusted? So is Jesus. The 12 guys that he chose to represent him are the same guys that turned their back on him when it counted the most. He gets it. I remember a few years ago, I went through this very serious and dark time of depression and loneliness. And you just feel like though you're around everybody, no one cares. And then I read that Jesus is a man of sorrows. He gets it. Jesus was on the cross and he's going through physical and spiritual pain we can't even fathom. And he doesn't say, thank you, God. What does he say? Why? He gets it. He identifies with us. It's what Chad Bird says. We have a God who knows intimately what it is to feel a heart breaking, hot tears running down his cheeks, blood flowing from gaping wounds. He knows what it's like to be both loved and hated as well as betrayed. There is no human emotion foreign to Jesus' experience. There is no human need that he's never felt pressing into his soul. Jesus, our fully divine and fully human God. He was sent into this world as God to be born as a baby, 100% and 100%, both to show us who he is, why he has come, and to journey with us along the way because he gets it. Now what do we do? Where do we go from here? One of the greatest things that we ought to do that we don't always do except one day of the year that we're reminded of is to be thankful. Thanksgiving is not just a day, it's a lifestyle. The greatest thing that we can do with who Jesus is is to thank him for the people in our lives, the person that he is. So I want you just to thank him for the people in your life. We take people in our life so for granted until they're gone. You never know what you got till it's gone. Who are the people in your life that you take for granted? They need to know how much they mean to you. That God put them in your life for the right time and they're the right people. Who do you need to send a text to just to say, look, you haven't done anything extra- extraordinary in my life right now. It's just I'm thankful for you. Share that with them. Just like you would want someone to share that with you. And finally, thank God for sending his own son Jesus as the perfect person for us. We can just say, oh yeah, thanks God, but we have a perfect person who will never give up on us. Even when all other people do, he won't. Thank him for that. Live a lifestyle of thankfulness as a result of this. And if you don't know who he is and why he's both God and man and why he's come for us, that's why I'm here, or Charles, or Sonia, or our staff, is just to share that with you because you're missing out on your person. That's Jesus. Fully God, fully man, for you and me. Let's pray together. Lord, just so thankful that you're not partly each thing. It wouldn't work that way. You were 100% God and 100% man, and you came to this earth to rescue me, to rescue us. We thank you for the people that you've put in our lives, and most importantly, we thank you for entering into our lives. We live our life for you and for your glory, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Pray for my fantasy football team today too. Thank you.